Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us today here at Rethink Life Church. It's always an honor to have you join with us here online. Let me go ahead and encourage you to click those share buttons right now because you don't want to miss this message, nor do you want anybody that you know to miss this message. I'm going to be answering a very important, in many ways, an emotionally loaded question that has been controversial. Many people have had a lot of questions about it for many, many years. But before I disclose what that subject is, let me just say this. We're in a series called We is Greater Than Me. And we're learning how we collectively, as a body of Christ, as a church, can do great things together. During week one, we talked about serving together. Why? Because we realize that the, really just the, when you think about it, the number one is too small of a number to accomplish anything significant in life. Week two, we talked about growing together and how important it is that we apply the truth of God's word into our everyday lives. We talked about the five laws of growing spiritually in our lives because we can't become who we need to be by remaining who we are. We have to bring about those changes of growth in our lives. And then last week, uh, Steve Guzman, our student director, did a fantastic job talking about doing life together. Here's what he said. I love this. He said, if you want to go fast, go alone, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I thought that was such a great and yet challenging statement because it's true. We can't do life alone. We need to do life together with believers in Christ. And then today I want to talk with you about this important topic and that is telling others together. You see, I've been um, inspired recently by a book that I've been reading by John Maxwell. Some of you have heard of him and he's written gazillions of books but I've really been in touch and inspired by this particular book that he just released called Change Your World. And he has this statement, a quote that I want to share with you. He said, when you become a catalyst for change, one of the most significant things that you can do is invite others to join you in the cause. And you realize that's exactly what God did. He came to earth in the form of his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus' mission, the Son of God, His mission was to come into this world to ultimately die on a cross, to pay the price for your sin and for mine, for the entire world, and to ultimately be buried and to be raised back to life so that we could know forgiveness, so that that broken relationship, that sin caused between us and God could be forgiven, could be restored, redeemed, and we could become new through Christ Jesus. What an incredible mission. What a cause. And here's the thing that's interesting. During Jesus' earthly ministry of some 33 years, 30 years was just in the preparation of those final three years of His public ministry, here's what He did. He invited people just like you and me, ordinary people, to join Him in the cause. Because He knew 
that we is greater than me. He knew the power of coming together to accomplish great things together, to share the message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus to the entire world. And so with that, one of the things that we realize is that in his final words to his disciples, in Matthew chapter 28, let me just read what he shared because I'm going to share this from the paraphrased version known as the message version of the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, known as the Great Commission, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, God authorized and commanded me to commission you to go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. And then he said, I will be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. So God's plan, his purpose, and his will for your life and for mine and for the entire world is that we all come into a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. But once we do that, what he wants to do is he wants us to join him in the cause. He wants us to join him in spreading the gospel, sharing the good news, the hope of salvation, the hope of forgiveness, sharing this message with everyone in the entire world. In fact, the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, that any people should die, but that everyone should come to repentance, that all should come into a saving knowledge of Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. That was his cause. He's invited you and me to join him with that cause. Why? Because we is greater than me. Together, collectively, we can make a greater impact. We can enjoy, listen, we can invite others to join in with this message of hope and salvation and forgiveness. But when Jesus was on the earth, he began to draw large crowds in those final days of his ministry. He was healing the sick. You know, the, the, the blind was able to see miracles beginning to take place. Lives are being transformed. As you can only imagine, the word began to spread. The Bible says that great crowds came to hear him. But here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that, that he had a lot of fans. But you know how he separated his fans from his followers? It was said right there in Matthew 28. He told his disciples that when you share this message and people come to faith in Jesus, in other words, they become a true follower of mine, here's what he said. He said, mark their lives by baptism. In other words, I want you to distinguish those who are fans and those who are true followers. And how you know is when they demonstrate physically as well as spiritually of what I've done in their lives. And so today, I want to share with you what I believe is a very important message pertaining to what really what baptism, what, what it means to be marked by baptism. We're going to talk about what it is and what it isn't. And so if you have uh, maybe something to write with, I'm going to encourage you to take some notes today. I've been doing this for now for 30 years as one in the ministry full-time, pastoring for now over 20 years. And I don't think there's anything when you get into conversations with people that's more 
controversial, maybe more emotionally loaded, more so than this issue of baptism. And we're going to unpack that. And just like you um, shared a few, or excuse me, just like we shared a few moments ago uh, through the powerful video testimony that you saw, you know, this was an issue for our friend Ron. And maybe you can relate. But here's the thing. Today, we're going to learn what the meaning of baptism is, what the method of baptism is, and ultimately the why behind the what, what the true motivation of why we should even be baptized. So the first is this. Let's talk about the meaning of baptism. Because in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said these words. He said, If anyone acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will openly acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. But if anyone denies me here on earth, I will deny that person before my Father in heaven. In essence, Jesus was saying, hey, if you'll be ashamed of me here on earth, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father. But listen, giving our lives to Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of, something to be proud of. You know, my wife Michelle and I, this past Monday, June 1st, we celebrated 30 years of marriage. And you know what? Man, we are so excited. We've been on an amazing journey. Come on, somebody, put some little fire emojis in the, in the comment section. Man, we, we're still celebrating. What an incredible milestone. Three decades. But we believe the best is still yet to come. We're excited about the amazing future that God has for us. But you know what? One of the things we can vividly remember, we were reminiscing you know, three decades ago, 30 years ago, June 1st, you ready for this? 1991, we stood on a stage at my father-in-law's church. He actually officiated our wedding. He was the pastor of a local church in Oklahoma City. Michelle was standing, standing there in her beautiful white uh, wedding gown. And of course, I was across from her. We were gazing into each other's eyes and one of the things we did is we exchanged our wedding vows. In other words, we were demonstrating publicly to all the people that were there in attendance, we were demonstrating our love, our devotion, our commitment, our vows to each other and ultimately before God and before everybody else as witnesses to our holy matrimony. But another thing we did is we exchanged wedding bands. So I slipped the ring on her finger. She slipped the ring on our finger. And still to this day, 30 years later, we proudly wear these rings. You know what these rings say? They say to everybody else that we are taken. We've been spoken for. That we made a lifelong commitment. So these rings are actually a physical, tangible reminder. They're also a symbol outwardly of an inward personal decision we've made in our hearts to each other and once again before God. You see, that's what baptism is. Baptism is kind of like the wedding ring of our salvation. So with that, here's what I think is so important for us to understand. Baptism, you ready for this, is a public declaration of a brand new association. So baptism basically pictures two things. Number one, it pictures what Jesus did for me. I love what 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 says. Paul said, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So what does baptism 
symbolize? What, what is it a picture of? It is a picture of what Jesus did for us. He died, he was buried, and he came back to life. The second thing that baptism does, it is also a picture of what has happened to me. I love what the book of Romans says. Paul said it this way in Romans 6. He said, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You know what that means? Hey, Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad people good. Jesus came into the world to make dead people alive. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we put our faith in Jesus, He forgives us. Now, we were once dead in our sins, but not anymore as followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus. We've been forgiven. And when we go down into the waters of baptism, we're being just like Jesus. When He was buried and when we came back from the grave, we too were saying goodbye to the old life and we're saying hello to a new life, a new association in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So that is the, the, the meaning, if you will, of what baptism is. We have a new life. We have a new beginning. We have a new identity because of what Jesus not only did for us, but what he did in our lives. The second thing is not only the meaning of baptism, well, let's quickly talk about the method of baptism because this is where a lot of people, honestly, they have a lot of questions, there's a lot of emotion, and a lot of it has to do with maybe the way they were raised. It might have a lot to do with just, you know, what they were taught to believe. And maybe it's just, you know, something they've always wondered as to why, if you will, Things are the way they are when it comes to how churches practice these particular methods of people being baptized. Well, one of the lessons that we learn from reading the Scripture, and that's the most important source, is that we go to the Bible, the Word of God. One of the most important lessons to know and to understand and to learn is the fact that every baptism that you see mentioned in the New Testament specifically, here's what you need to understand. Every baptism was practiced by immersion. Most of the time, they were spontaneous and immediately. So with that, you got to understand, that was what was practiced. Listen, for the first 1,200 years of Christianity, that's what, that's what Jesus did. It's what he modeled for us. It's what the disciples did. Listen, it's what the early believers, the early church practiced they practice baptism by immersion. That's the only method you will see in the Bible. But in around 200 AD, what's interesting is that there was an offshoot of Christianity that began to emerge that embraced a new belief system that also followed up with a new method on how people were to be baptized, specifically infants. And so as a result, they, they introduced two lines of thought and belief. And the first was known as the doctrine of original guilt. So therefore, they believed and understood that when a, a child was born, they were born in their, uh, in their original sin. And therefore, if they were to physically die, then they would not go to heaven. And as a result of that, 
they instituted a second belief system and as a result, a new methodology. And it was referred to as baptismal regeneration. Now, what that simply means is, is that because they believe that the child was born in their original sin and they wouldn't go to heaven if they were to die, well, what they decided to do is they decided because many children were dying, infants were dying because of the cold, frigid waters in certain parts or regions of the country and also because of the scarcity of water in certain regions of the country, they instituted something known as sprinkling, or they began to practice, if you will, baptizing infants by sprinkling water upon their head because they believed that the seat of one's, that the head was the seat of one's intellect. So they believed that sprinkling, if you will, the water upon the brow or upon the, the head of a baby, that in and of itself, that method, that practice is what saved the child from their original sin. The only problem with that is, is that you will not find that method taught anywhere in the Bible, which is the reason why this becomes a controversial, in many ways, a very emotionally loaded topic for a lot of individuals. Let me explain to you what I mean. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who maybe were raised a certain way in a certain denomination, maybe grew up in a certain church where they practice infant baptism. They were maybe baptized, christened as a child. And here's what they were led to understand and believe. Because a child, okay, was at the mercy of the parents, and the parents were at the mercy of the authority of the pastor, the priest, or maybe even the church. Here's what most parents would do. Out of the good, I really believe, out of the goodness, out of the genuineness, and out of the sincerity of their hearts, only wanting what was best for their child, and because of respecting the authority of their church leaders and elders and their church practices, they would go through a ceremony of having their children baptized. In other words, they were christened, they were sprinkled as a child, as a baby. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Let me just share my heart with you. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, if anything, we applaud parents. We affirm mom and dad for their desire to want to see their children, their child, you know, do the right thing, you know, have you know, the opportunity to be brought up in the love and the spiritual support and nurturing and care of the church. So all of those things are wonderful. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But here's what I want you to understand. The big question is this. Whose decision was it? Was it the child's decision or was it the priest's decision or was it the parent's decision that that child be baptized? Well, we all know it was either the parent or maybe even the priest's encouragement that that child follow through by being christened, by being baptized. Well, let me share something with you. Listen, baptism does not save anybody according to the scripture. The method of baptism doesn't save anybody. You know what saves us from our sin? You know what forgives us from our sin? Let me tell you what it is. It's the blood that was spilt on Calvary's cross over 2,000 years ago. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. 
And when he died on that cross and he was buried and he came back to life, listen, Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe. But here's what we need to understand. Only through the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross can we be saved. It's not through being sprinkled. It's not even being baptized. Listen, how we are saved, how we are born again, how we are forgiven, how we get to heaven is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is the most important thing that we can understand? What does the Bible teach? All throughout the scripture, you see a spiritual progression that takes, like, takes place like this. People hear the word of God. Then they put their faith in Christ. Then they're marked by water baptism. They are associating themselves as new believers in Christ. But when people are baptized as a baby, here's what happens. The sequence is different. They're baptized. Maybe later in life, they put their faith in Jesus once they realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. But unfortunately, they never associate or demonstrate physically and publicly what Christ has done for them. So what baptism is, once again, it is an outward expression. It is a public declaration of a brand new association with our lives in Christ Jesus. In fact, the word baptism in the Greek language is the word baptizo. And it simply is defined as these words, to immerse, to dip, to sink, to submerge, or to bury. And guess who modeled this method? It was Jesus. Jesus was baptized by immersion by John the Baptist. You ever wonder why John the Baptist got, you ever, you ever wonder where he got his name, John the Baptist? Why not John the Methodist or John the, you know, John the Assemblies of God or, you know, or, or, or maybe John the Church of Christ? No, no, no. It was John the Baptist. Why? Because he was a Baptist? No. John the Baptist got his name because in Greek he was known as the Baptizo guy. He was the guy who was, sub, who was submerging, who was, who was putting under other people. He was baptizing other individuals, specifically Jews, as well as Gentiles, who were converting to the message that he was preaching and teaching and proclaiming that Jesus, the Messiah, was to come. And we were to put our faith and trust in him and him alone. One day Jesus showed up on the riverbanks of the Jordan. John the Baptist was out there baptizing people. These Jews who were being converted were telling John the Baptist, they were saying, hey, I believe in your message and therefore I am now associating my future into believing that Jesus the Messiah is the answer. When Jesus showed up, what did John do? He said, behold, the Lamb of God, there he is. And so therefore Jesus came down into the water and the Bible says in Mark chapter 1, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And notice, and when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son and I am fully pleased with you. You see, Jesus was in essence saying in front of everybody, all the witnesses that were watching, he said, what John the Baptist is teaching and preaching is not only true, but I am the fulfillment 
of his message. And therefore, he allowed John the Baptist to baptize him. Why was he doing that? To foreshadow what he ultimately came to earth to do. And that was to die for your sin and mine, to be buried and to be raised back to life. Man, what a powerful, powerful demonstration. You know, a lot of people through the years have had, you know, that apprehension about getting baptized, been fearful about, you know, what somebody might think or say, or especially offending their parents or maybe dishonoring their pastor or their priest. And I just want you to hear my heart on this. I know it's difficult. It can be very emotional sometimes because the last thing you want to do is bring offense to someone or hurt someone or maybe, you know, minimize that experience as though it didn't count or it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't meaningful. But we're not diminishing any of, that, any of that, nor are we dismissing that. But what we are doing is we're saying, God, I just want to be obedient to you. And if this is what your will and purpose is, this is a part of your plan, and this is the method that you have for me, then I'm willing to embrace that. You know, I've baptized, goodness, I have no idea, probably at least a thousand people in over 20 years. And I can honestly say, as God is my witness, I have never baptized anybody that I baptized by immersion who went down into the water and then came up out of the water who said, oh man, that was the worst decision ever made. I can't believe I just did that. No. You know what they typically do? They typically raise up their hands. They typically are overwhelmed by tears of joy because they understand that they were sinners in need of a Savior and Jesus died and was buried and came back to life. And as a result of them putting their faith in Jesus, they understood that they were new believers, that they, were, they had a new beginning, a new identity, a new association. The past had been washed away and the new had become a reality in their hearts and their lives. So what's the why behind the what as we wrap up this time? And that is our motivation. Why is it so important that we get baptized? Well, Jesus said it best in the opening scripture that we talked about at the very beginning, known as the Great Commission. And he told his disciples these words in verses 19 and verse 28. In, in chapter 28, in verse 19, he said, Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why is baptism so important? You can sum it up in one word, and that is obedient to Christ's command to be water baptized. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said it this way. If you love me, what did he say? Obey my commands. That's the only motivation. The motivation is Jesus in light of what you've done for me. And because this is your will, this is your plan, this is what your word teaches out of obedience, because I love you and I want to honor you. And because I'm not ashamed I want to publicly declare my new association that I am a true follower of yours. Now let me ask you a question. Is that taking place in your life? Have you followed that biblical pattern of hearing the Bible? Maybe you're hearing this message for the first time today. And then secondly, putting your faith in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and to experience the forgiveness of your sin. And then publicly declaring 
that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. When I was 18 years of age, I did that very thing. But before then, let me share something with you. When I was six years of age, according to my mom and dad, I supposedly became a Christian. I don't remember anything, but then I also got baptized at the age of six. But here's what I later learned, because at the age of 18, after hearing my oldest brother share his testimony, I realized that what I did have was religion, but what I didn't have was a relationship. And for the first time, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, and I accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. I'll never forget the very next Sunday, I let my pastor know that I had put my faith in Jesus. And I told him I wanted to be baptized. He was so excited, but also a little shocked. <laughs> and I'll never forget um, that night, that, that Sunday night, I went before the entire church and I got baptized. And I'll never forget my pastor. He took me down under the water and it came up out of the water. And again, just like so many, just overwhelmed by emotion. But I said goodbye to the old life and I said hello to a new life in Christ Jesus. I don't know where you are in your life spiritually. And maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized by immersion. Let me, let, me, let me just put this thought in your head. If Jesus could walk 70 miles by foot, if he could walk 70 miles from where he was there in Jerusalem to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. And what is it that's keeping you from making this all-important decision in your life? Just like the New Testament in the early church in Acts chapter 2 and Peter stood up before the masses. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says on that day, known as the day of Pentecost, the Bible says some 3,000 people put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ after Peter boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus, shared the good news. Some 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ and instantly, the Bible says, were baptized. And that became the formation of what is known as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a powerful demonstration of how Jesus initially called out a few to join him in his cause. But he wanted to remind them that, hey, we is greater than me. In essence, hey, we can accomplish more together than one could ever accomplish on their own. The good news is Jesus did all the work. He died for you and me. And he came back to life. And all we got to do is be his witnesses and tell people about the good news, the hope, that is found in Jesus. And once we do that, then encourage them to mark their lives, to no longer just be hearers, but to ultimately be doers, to take those next steps in obedience to Christ and to become true followers of Jesus, being marked through water baptism. I want to invite you, if you would, to bow your head and your heart in a moment of prayer and can I just remind you today that if you have never put your faith in Jesus, the only prerequisite of getting baptized is by knowing Jesus, by putting your faith in Jesus and inviting Him to be your personal Lord and Savior. If that's your need, can I just invite you to pray this prayer in your heart? Just like I did when I was 18 years of age. You can pray this prayer. Just say, Dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I turn from my sin. 
And today I believe, Jesus, that you died for me and came back to life for me. And by faith, I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer just then, can I ask you to do me a huge favor? There at the top of the screen, if you're watching on our website, just click the button there that says, I decided. You know what? I believe just like the people there on in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, where it says in that day, some 3,000 people were saved and baptized. I believe that that day can become this day in your life. And maybe that next step for you is to demonstrate your new faith in Christ. Or maybe you've been baptized years ago as an infant, but maybe it's time to get your baptism back in biblical order. Can I just encourage you, put a note there in the, in the chat to say, hey, I want to be baptized. Or you can text RTLI decided. RTLI decided to that number there on the screen. And we wanna know of your desire. If you're here in the local area, Join us next Sunday, June 13th, as we take our faith public there at the beach to get water baptized. What a glorious celebration it's going to be. Hey, we love you guys. And just remember, we is greater than me. Let's do great things together. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.